Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we'll continue this evening with our discussion of the Chatur Sloki verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which Srila Jiva Goswami is using here in his Bhagavat Sandarbha to fortify the understanding that of all the various conceptions of the Supreme Absolute Truth, a personalized conception of the Supreme is the topmost. So there are many conceptions. And as his primary uh, evidence for this whole Bhagavat Sandarbha, actually Tattva Sandarbha, Bhagavat Sandarbha, and also the next Sandarbha will be studying the Paramatma Sandarbha. There's one verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam which Srila Jiva Goswami's used as as the 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 core verse of his whole presentation. Viranti tat tat vidas tatvam yaj gyanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate that those that are learned transcendentalists, meaning those that rely upon a systematic approach to the acquisition of spiritual knowledge, and coming from the Eastern tradition, that would be one, those transcendentalists who accept the Vedas as their primary source of evidence doesn't mean they're the only transcendentalists. Uh, I was just reading this morning where Srila Prabhupada was extolling the virtues of Lord Jesus Christ and saying he's a Vaishnav because he accepts a personal conception of the absolute truth. Then he went on to say, as you can see, the business of a Vaishnav is always not so <laughs> appealing. <laughs> Not everybody's really interested. So, uh, so Jiva's saying here in his Sandarbhas, quite simply, in the ultimate issue, the topmost conception of the Supreme, we will come to a conception of the Supreme where we see the Supreme as himself an individual person. But there are other conceptions of the Supreme. Brahmati, an impersonal conception of the Supreme, where the Supreme is simply a spiritual force that pervades everything. Brahman. Or Paramatma, a spiritual force that pervades everything and controls everything. Ishvara, the Supreme Ishvara, the, the, a personality who creates the universe who maintains the universe and who ultimately dissolves the universe, a personality who resides in the heart of every living entity and in every molecule of, of matter that we experience. That's getting near personal, but it's personal in a, in a broader sense of personality. So we see that there's there's personality, but the qualities of that manifestation of the Supreme or that conception of the Supreme are seen in relationship to what we perceive in our existence. So it's Paramatma, Param, it's Supreme, Atma, the supreme Atma, self of all selves, but this conception of the supreme is more or less limited to creator, maintainer, destroyer, all-pervading, and everything that you that you hear in regards to Paramatma, which also includes the Purusha avatars the avatars that 
create uh, specifically. Um, is in relationship to what we experience through our senses. So we can look at Paramatma in that regard. Basically, Paramatma that's, is that conception of the Supreme that does have, is a personalized conception, but it's a person as it relates to the material creation. And then we go to the ultimate in our understanding of the Supreme, which is Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He not only pervades everything by his spiritual energy, Brahman, he not only creates and maintains and destroys everything within the material realm, Paramatma, but he also has a good time himself in his own abode, in his transcendental realm, with his eternal associates. So, Srila Jiva Goswami in the Bhagavat Sandarbha is confronting, understand Jiva Goswami was here 500 years ago, uh, he was one of the six major associates of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, the youngest of them. And uh, he was considered at the time, and one could argue pretty strongly that even today we could look at the writings and the presentation of the of Jiva, Srila Jiva Goswami as the most profound logician of all time. But his logic is based on scripture. So he is his he uses the Vedic scriptures as his evidence. And he bridges a, a major gap his time and even today between the Vedas and the followers of Sri Chaitanya, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, the Vaishnavas in general, understand at his time the predominance of transcendentalists, of spiritual thinkers, were actually Brahmavadis. They were not Vaishnavas. Their conception of the Supreme in the ultimate, their conception was that of Brahman. The Supreme, we can't attribute material aspects to the Supreme. He ha can't have a form because the only forms are material. He can't have qualities and potencies because the only potencies, potencies are potencies that are coming out of the material nature. That's, so That's what they thought. That's their thinking, yes. And what to speak of form. Once we attribute a form, well, all forms are material. So this is the consciousness of the Brahmavadi, that they, they, they're so, part of their, part of the way that they conceive of things is material life is not good. Everything we've experienced here has been a problem. And we see nothing in material existence except repeated birth and death, samsara, coming and going again and again. So spirit must be a, the exact antithesis of material existence. So spirit must be without a body. Well, what if spirit had a spiritual body? They don't think like that. They, they have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. And these are deep thinkers. But you have to understand their primary praman, their primary evidence is also the Vedas. So it takes someone like a Jiva Goswami to be able to pull out of the Vedas an understanding of the Vedas which supersedes simply the Brahman 
understanding that's there. It's certainly there in the Vedas because it is an aspect of the Supreme. He's not material. He doesn't have a material form. He doesn't have material activities. He doesn't have material attributes. Although everything that's material is coming from him, he has nothing to do with material. Except that it's one of his energies. So here in this portion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, he's already used a lot of Vedic Upanishadic evidence. And now he's going because he's going back to the Shining Purana, the Bhagavat Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, and he's using that as evidence. And he's using that as evidence to prove his point because there are people that misconstrue what the Bhagavatam says. So by him giving a detailed explanation of the core verses of the Bhagavatam, he shows beyond any reasonable doubt that these verses cannot be referring to the impersonal aspect of transcendence as being the topmost. So he takes the Chatur Sloki, or the four core verses of the Bhagavatam, which in the text itself were spoken by the Lord to the creator of the universe, Brahma, at the dawn of creation, so it's like the whole text, the 18,000 verses of the Bhagavatam condensed into four verses in code form. Well, Brahma was pretty smart. I mean, he's a creator of a universe, so he didn't have any trouble understanding what Krishna was getting across in just four verses. But Jiva also points out that he also spoke the entire Bhagavatam to Brahma. At some time, he couldn't not have, is the way Jiva puts it. So he takes eight verses. He takes the first verse, uh, which is basically an invitation to Brahma. Learn from me. Become my student. And the second verse is a blessing. If you become my student, I'm going to bless you with transcendental knowledge. And then he delivers the four verses, the core verses, and then he gives Brahma an ending blessing. So he gets blessed in the beginning and blessed in the end. Now, how's the Supreme Brahman going to bless us? If it's not a personal conception, if there's not a person there behind the spiritual energy, our Atma, our self, our self-inquisitiveness can only take us so far. But if there's somebody on the other side holding out their hand and saying, well, here, there's much more than what you can perceive. You can, you do have the facility as a jiva, as an atma, to turn off your involvement in the material realm. You can become a yogi. You can become a mystic. You can control your mind and senses, although it's very hard. In most ages, excepting this one, it's it's attainable. Kali Yuga, yeah, maybe not so much. It's a pretty fallen age. And you don't really live long enough in one body to get the mind and senses fully out of, under control. But that isn't to say there aren't yogis living in mountain caves in the Himalayas or someplace 
the Rockies. I mean, let's not limit things. And they they control their senses, their mind and senses. But how far can they go? They can only go so far on their own energy. They can realize their self. They can realize their self in relationship to their environment. They can realize their self in relationship to the essence of their self. They can divorce, divorce themselves from the material environment that surrounds them. They can certainly enter into samadhi and have revelation there, but the revelation only goes so far. What Jiva's taught us so far is there's so much further to go and it's a journey that's worth taking. So, the opening verse of these seven verses reads, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, the Supreme Personality Bhagavan, said to Brahma, Janma Parama Guyamme. Let me give you some confidential Guyam knowledge about me. Yadvigyana Samanvitam. Sarahasyam Tarangamcha Grihana Gaditam Maya. Receive from me this most confidential knowledge regarding me, Jnana, which includes its realization. You can learn about God, but there's a difference between learning about Him. Oh, He's here, He's there, He works this way, He's performed these pastimes, He looks like this. And then there's realization. Vigyan. So, realize, receive from me this most confidential regarding me, Gyan, which includes its realization. How could it not include realization of the Supreme? Its mystery, Rahasya, and its component part, Unga. So, as we've explained, this first section means there's four, four verses of the Chatur Sloki, and they deal with these four items. The Supreme, Absolute Truth, person in his personal form, Jnana, realization of that, revelation of it, experience of that, experience beyond book knowledge. In other words, revelation. Seeing God face to face. That revelation builds gradually, generally gradually. It can come instantaneously. That's also there in scripture. Narada Muni was simply a neophyte devotee just beginning and he saw Krishna face to face and Krishna says, people don't generally do this, but I felt a little merciful today and you're a young boy and you were interested in spiritual life so here I am. You won't see me again in this life. Can you imagine? I won't see you again in this life. You're all I want. You're my whole, you know, everything I strive for. You're coming here. I'm a young boy. I'm practicing and you're telling the first thing out of your mouth is you won't see me again in this life. Not the first thing, but you know. That's the thing that really stuck with, I'm sure. It's like, oh, why? Well, I have something to look forward to then. I'll get to see you again at the end of this life. It's an interesting story. So, uh, I want to move along here. I would like to complete, before Swami Tripurari comes, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, and I'm sure everybody else would also. <laughs> so on to the next verse. So this is the first verse was an invitation. Now, Krishna, huh? Bribing. Bribing, learn about me. Now, now <laughs> a blessing. <laughs> Interesting way to put it. Yavanaham yatabhavo. Yadrupa Guna Karmaka 
Tathaiva tattva vijnanam astute madanugrahat. By my grace, may true realization dawn in you. Well, now when the guru says that to you, you you can feel pretty confident about moving forward in your spiritual life. So in this instance, Krishna is playing the part of the guru and he's saying, let realization of me dawn in you. Oh, okay then, I could go for that. (laughs) Of me in my utter completion. Oh, I get to know everything about God? Well, you're going to get to know a lot. Will you know everything? Well, there's even scriptural reference to the fact that God himself may know not everything of himself. Complete with form, attributes, and action. Form, attributes, and action. Yad rupa guna karmaka. Rupa, form, guna, qualities, and karmaka, activities. Now we come up on to the sloka that we touched upon. We began last class. In this way, the Lord delineated the four topics under investigation. In the four verses of Chatur Sloki, beginning by defining himself in the first two verses to elucidate jnana and vijnana. In the matter of jnana, he says, Aham eva sam eva gre. Nanyajyat sat asad param paschad aham yad etachcha yo visisyeta soshmayaham. In the beginning, I alone certainly did exist, and no other. We'll explain a little bit about that. Whether sat asat asat or beyond both. Afterwards, I am for both this cosmos and what remains are also I. For both this cosmos and what remains are also I. Afterwards, I am. This is a, uh, a similar verse to the core verses of the Bhagavad Gita from the 10th chapter, which begin, same, Ahamsa Rasya Prabhavo, Matapasarva Pavartate, Iti Matva Bhajante Mam, Buddha Bhava Sabhanvita. The same core understanding is there. <clears throat> so we went over some of this, explaining that when we speak of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he's not alone. He's like a king. He has a retinue. He has a low, he has his own his own abode. He has his own opulences. We refer to all that under one broad category as Swarup Shakti. His personal Swarup, his personal spiritual nature, that Shakti, that energy. It's him and everything about him and everybody that is only about him. So it's a place of exclusivity. It's exclusive to those pure unalloyed devotees who are free from all material. They have no, nothing to do with material nature. So we got down to this place. Um, and the main point being made here when we talk about looking at the Lord as in this way that we would analogous to that of a king is he also has an abode. So when everything within the material cosmos is manifested and then wrapped up in him, in his form as a Purusha avatar, someone who creates the universe or creates all the universes, enters into the universes, then enters into the heart of every living entity within every universe. 
Besides all that, he's also completely outside the universe in his own place. So it can be seen kind of like a king, except a king can't simultaneously be home with the wife and kids and be at the office working. The Supreme Lord can. He has at least that much potency. At least. So that's what we need to draw out of this first verse, where the verse says, I alone certainly existed. I existed before. I existed in my own domain before this whole universe was manifested that you're experiencing as your domain. I have my own domain. Your experiences well, they're limited to your body. And as your body goes through changes and as you change bodies, you, you have a certain perception. My existence, my spiritual domain is entirely different. It's entirely different. This that you experience is a perverted reflection of the reality of existence. It's perverted because it's based on an illusion. And as we go through the Chatur Sloki, Krishna will also explain the illusion. So, earlier in the Bhagavatam, I'm sorry, later in the Bhagavatam, um, there was a question by Vidura to Maitreya. And it go, goes as follows. Please tell me, O great sage, in how many ways do the elements of material nature dissolve into their source? Who serves the Lord at that time and who follows him in repose? Jiva Goswami explains. Can you repeat one more time the, the first portion of this question that was posted? The first part, could you repeat one more time? What we just read? Yeah. Please tell me, O oh great sage. Please tell me. Who is he speaking true? Maitreya. Please tell me, Maitreya, in how many ways do the elements of material nature dissolve into their source? So he's inquiring from Maitreya, how's the dissolution of the material manifestation come about? You've explained to me the creation. I understand that first the subtle elements and then the subtle elements become, first there's the, uh, the well, first is, the, is this, yeah, earth, yeah. And then the, then you have the, uh, the objects of the senses. You have the elements that carry the different sense experiences then you have the sense experiences themselves, tan mantras. So, and those experiences are hearing, smelling, tasting, seeing, touching. Um, and then you have the gross seat in every body for the experience of those senses. So there's the subtle and the gross. So he's already explained that all. All that Sankhya philosophy has been explained to Maitreya. And now he's saying, well, how's it wrapped up? How do all those elements end up in the end? What do they become? And it's explained to him that they basically enter back into the Supreme in his form as a Purusha, Karna Dakshai Vishnu. And they wrap up in exactly the opposite way as when they came into existence. And they end up in a dormant state in Pradhan. Who serves the Lord at that time? Everybody's gone. Who's going to take care of God? You know, it's basically what Vidura is saying here. Who's going to take care of my Lord? You've told me all about him and I, I you know, like, what about him? And who follows him in repose? So, 
Jiva Goswami continues with his Anucheta. In the phrase, I alone, this is back to the verse, Krishna speaking to Brahma, Aham Eva, the emphatic particle alone negates any possibility of reference to any agent or to the formless Brahman. The second Eva certainly joined with did exist a sum is a denial of this being an impossibility. Thus, it was said, re, rephrasing it, as I am complete with form, attributes, and actions. Jeeva is explaining what Krishna is saying in the verse about himself. He's saying, my form, my qualities, and my actions, rupa, guna, karma, ka, these three are in me before and they're in me afterwards. That's what it means to be the Supreme Godhead. A, a little bit of a technical explanation follows. Um, again, relying on the Sanskrit and Sanskrit explanation of the verse, which may differ from other people's understanding of the verse. The main point being made, today the king is not doing anything. So somebody could say in a court of the king, today the king's not doing anything. So today there's no material world. There was a material world, now it's gone. What's the king up to? Well, when we say the king is not doing anything, it doesn't mean it just means he's not doing any of his royal duties. He's still at home with his family and kids, and he's still eating and enjoying everything. So, again, Jeeva's just making the point. Understand, Krishna's a person, and the ultimate issue. Um, nice explanation here that uh, there's a particular book where a Vedant, an Advaitin scholar, Vopadev, took 800 verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam in praise of the personal conception of, of the personality of Godhead. And Jiva points out, well not Jiva, actually here Sachin Narayan Das Babaji is pointing out that his, one of his contemporaries Himadri, he's, he points out that Vopadev, who's basically an Advaitin, which means his conception is one of, of uh, Brahman as the ultimate understanding of the Supreme. He uses all these verses regarding the Lord's distinct character, form, qualities, activities like that. So, using the Bhagavatam as an evidence, it can only support this, the personalized conception. And a little technical here in the verse, but let's go through it. The Lord addresses this objection. So the objection could be raised in regards to the Lord's pronouncement to Brahma. Uh, but in some scriptural references, this is Jiva, Jiva does this a lot. He speaks on behalf of Krishna, just as Vishwanath Chakravarti does a lot. They put forward, well, God could say this. The Acharya knows the Supreme enough to know that he could say it, and this is the way he would say it, and this is the this is the way it would he would present. So an objection is raised. But in some scriptural references, it is stated that in the beginning there existed only Brahman without attributes. So what do you have to say to that? I mean, it's in the scriptures. It has to be, has to be accepted as truth. Everything in the Veda is truth. So Jiva Goswami answers as follows. 
the Lord addresses this objection with the words, and no other, whether sat asat or beyond both. Nanyad yat sad asat param. Sat means the effect. Asat, the cause. Brahman, which is beyond these two, is not anything other than me. In other words, the intention here is this. Some, sometimes there is an incapacity to ascertain the unique attributes inherent in my essential nature, Swarup. In other words, we may not have the spiritual qualification yet, the ability through Sumati, if we are a yogi, or the spiritual, scriptural revelation yet, is what's being presented here. We may not yet have the qualifications spiritually to fully understand the Lord's personal nature. Either on the part of the aspirant who is whose eligibility is for Brahman realization alone. In other words, the class of transcendentalists who are jnanis who rely strictly on the knowledge of scripture for their revelation. And it's the discipline that they've, they've tuned into for their whole spiritual inquiry up to this point. Or on the part of the scripture which discloses, in parentheses, which discloses the absolute as no more than negation of all material attributes. So there's certainly in Scripture a lot that is said in relationship to the supreme absolute truth, which is simply a negation of everything that it can't be. It can't be hot and cold. It can't have the dualities of material existence. Scripture says that repeatedly in all kinds of different ways regarding the nature of spiritual. Spiritual is like this and material is like that. In either of these cases, the pre-existing truth, which verily I am, appears to have no attributes. So it appears that I have no attributes. If you're a Gyani, and if your whole conception of the Supreme is Brahman, a Brahmavadi, then you're not going to pick up on the fact that I do have my own internal swarup, my own spiritual nature, which is completely distinct from everything that you've experienced in the world, which is completely distinct, except in quality, from what you can have revelation of independent of being blessed by my spiritual internal potencies. So the, the yogi can only go so far in self-revelation without bhakti. In fact, scripture points out that without bhakti, at least a pinch of bhakti, they'll never attain their goal. And the majority are not even far, it's a very, very difficult thing without proper spiritual guidance. And their spiritual guidance, for the most part, is simply relying on spirit is not this, nati, nati, nati. And then we have to throw in the whole Sankaracharya thing and the whole misconceptions and misinterpretation of scripture that was performed by Lord Shiva in a manifestation, um, which is a story which is too much for this evening's discussion as to how that and why that had to take place. Alternatively, scriptures offer two different descriptions. In scripture, we find two things. One is of the absolute as undifferentiated consciousness. That's all it is. It's one 
homogeneous spiritual satchitananda consciousness without manifest qualities because at the time of cosmic annihilation there is a complete absence of phenomena the other description is of a Bhagavan complete with inherent potency and characteristics and existing in the transcendental abode of Vaikuntha so we're going to find both these descriptions in Shastra that of Brahman as the ultimate and that of Bhagavan as the ultimate. And throughout this Bhagavat Sandarbha, it's been proven repeatedly based on the authority of Scripture that of these two conceptions of the Supreme Absolute, the Bhagavan conception reigns supreme. And from these verses alone, from the Bhagavatam, you couldn't arrive at another conception of the Supreme. Who could bless? Brahman? How could Brahman bless? Brahman has no qualities. The second you attribute a quality to the all-pervading Brahman, then the definition of Brahman you have to throw out the window. Well, let's go through one more objection before we end up. But surely you are not perceived after the creation cycle is terminated. Who could perceive you when the creation wraps up? There's no jivas who are active. They're inactive, but they're not active to perceive you. And there's no senses that allows perception. The Lord answers, Paschat, afterwards, even at the termination of the creation cycle, I alone am, aham, which is to say that I most certainly do exist at both, at that time, both in my form as Bhagavan, present in the Vaikuntha planets, and as the supreme indwelling self, imminent within phenomenal existence. But, all the jivas are lying dormant. This completes the intended sense. From this it is evident that the knowledge that has been instructed is specifically about Bhagavan, such as that described in verses like the Lord is the source of the creation, maintenance, and dissolution of the cosmos. Both he himself, but him he himself is without cause. Uh, further doubt will be doubted upon next class. Any questions? Yes, sir. So we are talking about uh, that there is a, that we realize the Lord with his guna, rupa, and lila. Does this happen like uh, automatically, all of them at once, or first is Guna, for example, and then later is Rupa, and later it comes Lila? Um, it it happens. It it really depends upon the spiritual practitioner. Generally speaking, the spiritual practitioner's attainment of revelation is gradual. So Srila Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu lays out a gradual step-by-step -step progression. And it's the general course. Doesn't mean you can't have a Narda from time to time who get a direct revelation of the Supreme Lord in completion. But generally it's a Tao Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangotha Bhajana Kriya. We go through a purification process and once the senses are purified, then spirit, they're, they're both purified from material involvement and they're spiritualized. So then you get the stage of steadiness. And from steadiness, then you develop a taste. That taste, as it develops in Ruchi, brings some initial revelation. You actually realize there is the Supreme Lord. 
He is in the Bhagavatam. He is in his holy name. I'm experiencing something much more, you know, than what I chanted years and years ago. There's, there's, there's a taste there. Where's that taste coming from? It's not a taste that I can, I've ever experienced in relationship to my material senses. It's, you know, the hearing is different. This, you know, I see the deity, but it's different. Everything is gradually becoming spiritualized. And then at, a, at the stage of a shakti, a personality, there's a personal, the personality comes into play and loving relationship begins. The creeper of loving relationship in a speci- to a specific manifestation of the supreme begins to manifest in the heart. So generally, it's gradually. Generally. Step by step. Then you have Baba, then you have Prem. Who knows how those stages develop, but they develop step by step. And they overlap, so, you know. But even in the beginning of spiritual life, devotees have, you know, they get some, if the, in the association of the sadhus, specifically in the association of the guru, they will have some revelation. Uh, it's referred to by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada in his uh, nectar devotion. Uh, it's like a ray from the heart of the spiritual master mm-hmm. touches our heart, which is iron. <laughs> you know, but it's still it's so powerful that we have some direct experience of of bhava of, of spiritual. Taste. So that taste is like the Krishna's qualities. Taste of the qualities first, and then later the form and later the activities. Bhakti Devi is completely independent. You know, she can give you a big taste or a, just a little, you know, a little taste. I just read today Sridhar Maharaj was talking about it, and when you were. Thing, I guess it's in the Ruchi stage. It's a feeling. It, it's just a feeling that comes in the heart, where the heart becomes more open. It's not like a specific Krishna's form or qualities. Generally, not it's the form qualities. No, it's 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 a feeling, and also in the association of the pure devotee, once in a while, you you can experience uh, sattvic of loves. Uh, when you really have not qualified yourself for that level, but that's coming from the that's more what Prabhupada was talking about in his his uh, uh, comment in the nectar of devotion, the, the rays of the heart of the uh, the pure unalloyed devotee can actually penetrate the heart of a conditioned soul and give them a taste. So tears may come to the eyes for perspiration, you know. Things like that in the association of a devotee may overtake someone for a for some limited time. I know I've had that experience in Prabhupada's presence once or twice. So. Um, but generally, to answer your question, it's a gradual process, unless it isn't. <laughs> for you, I hope it isn't. I was thinking. Thank you. I was thinking that you know it's difficult to talk about Rupa or or like Guna or you know like you need to have form to have pastimes, isn't it? So the it seemed that Rupa is before Lila. That you know that, that there need to be some kind of you know flow that, that more and more is what to say, one thing leads to another and stuff like some something like that. But then again, a lot of that knowledge can be gathered during the stage of sadhana as gyan. We can read from Rupa Goswami, these are the characteristics of Krishna's form. He's blue, he's medium height, he, he tucks his flute in here, ties his dhoti this way, he's got a broad chest, a broad forehead, you know, 
all the specifics of his rupa. And the same about his qualities. Yes. And then in the tenth canto, we know all about his activities. So all of that can be experienced primarily just through knowledge, and then that knowledge gradually becomes becomes more and more solidified so that you we hear of the discussions in Sri Chaitanya's circle where Gadadhar was simply reading the pastimes and, and he was soaking the pages of the Bhagavatam so much that they were just, you know, disappearing from his tears, just reading the book Bhagavat, which is non-different from the person Bhagavat. So, yeah, all that's experienced, and that's, well, of course, that's the ideal nature of uh, Sadaka Siddhabhumi, when the Siddhas come and play like Sadakas in the land of our land. I have another question. I was thinking, you know, we were talking on the beginning, the, you started your presentation of uh, the, the concept of Brahman Paramatma Bhagavan. And I was, I remember like first time when I was reading uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, and there is this whole interaction with, with Prakashananda Saraswati, Lord Chaitanya, you know, and trying to explain to him, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, personal concept of, of the Lord. And I was, I remember thinking, you know, this is pretty straightforward. I mean, like, it is easy to, to understand that, you know, and, but so, so like, how it is possible that I can sit here and understand this concept and those sannyasis who are dedicating their whole life, performing different austerities and meditation, mm-hmm. all this stuff, they, they don't have ability to grasp, grasp this particular point. So why, like, uh, well, there's two explanations. Okay. There's how much samskara coming from how many lifetimes of practice have brought you to this stage, or Bhakti Devi's just blessed you through this through a sadhu to immediately come to this stage. It's Bhakti goes in her own way, but generally. Generally, it's some lifetimes of practice to come to be in the association of of serious sadhus, and, and uh, nothing's happening by chance. And then again, Bhakti Devi can have everything happen by chance. She's completely independent. But generally, there's a certain way. Generally, step by step. That doesn't mean there's wonderful possibilities that don't fall in the generally category. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.